Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you to join us for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of discovery. I am still your host, Ed Pocock, and today I am joined once more by fellow Archon and host of the Sanctimonious Podcast. Yes, you might have heard of it. It's Dan Johnson. Dan, welcome back. Greetings, Archon. <laughs> and hey. and I, as I just said to you, Dan, that's not going to take me by surprise this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the oh. boom. The boom is real. The, the boom is real. And, and for those of you listening to the first time, every two episodes, we, we introduce a different member of the Keyforge community. In last week's episode, Dan shared his experience of building an online community so if you missed that, do go back and check it out. The second episode, and t- indeed today's episode, is all about bottling the excitement of discovery, where our guests share with us the decks they consider to be truly unique to themselves. So for our listeners, you can find the link to the deck in the show notes, and this will take you to Decks of Keyforge, a wondrous land where you can join us in discovering the deck as we talk about it. So, uh, without further ado, uh, would you like to introduce the deck for us, uh, Dan? Yes, please meet Oppenheimer of Kissingwell Pantry. Uh, I mean, the name already <laughs> is absolutely exceptional. Um, yeah, it's slightly kind of disturbing, and uh, as was your as was your description of uh, what's it all about next week? Oh, kissing. Uh, it's not what <laughs> you expect well. with Keyforge, really, is it? <laughs> no, this is a deck I picked up on the secondary market um, fairly early on in AOA. Um, I found in Coda, I bought, man, in Coda, I bought a lot of secondary market decks, but like in like the 15 to 30 range. So I ended up with a bunch of like good to great decks that were good sometimes, but um, I just didn't have like any great, great decks. So I kind of made a transition to just buying fewer decks, but more high quality decks because those are the ones I like to buy and play. And so this was kind of my big spend for AOA for this deck. So yeah, it's a uh, Brobnar Dis Shadows deck. I, uh, I really like Brobnar in AOA. It became a much better house this time around than what it was in Coda. Just a lot, a lot better effects for board control and actually like gaining amber while controlling the board, which is something that Brobnar and Coda just didn't do super yeah. well. And uh, and and I see straight off the bat in in Brobnar, you've got the two ganger chieftains there, and. Uh, 
what a what a wonderfully flexible card. Oh, it is great. And speaking of flexible card, there's also the flex, which is exhaust a ready Brobnar creature and gain half amber with double Grogans in the list. And yeah. if somebody has the misfortune of turn oneing and not playing any creatures out, I've gotten a few games where I've gone Grogans, Ganger Chieftain, Ready Grogans, Flex Grogans, have four amber to start the game. Which uh, is enough to uh, to make your opponent put out their hand and, and say, oh, it's, <laughs> it's done, it's done. You know, it's the, um, Brob- it's the Brobner version of Treasure Map. You just leave behind two, <laughs> two big bodies, a five and an eight body behind to continue to control the board. It is literally uh, flexing your muscles at your opponent <laughs> to, uh, to kind of signal what's to come. And, um, and rather than signal, let's just get straight to it because the huge combo in this is absolutely huge. And uh, <laughs> it, is, it is loud, it is clear, it is Ronnie Wrist Clocks, uh, the, the uncle that you don't invite to your party but still turns up anyway, again and again in this deck. Um, so, so do you want to tell us a bit about how that plays out for you, Dan, and um, how many opponents you've made cry with this one? Well, I mean, pretty much everybody that looks at the list just starts crying because it's triple Ronnie Wrist Clocks. <laughs> there's three of them. No, there's not just one, there's not two, there's three Ronnie Wrist Clocks. And, I mean, if that's not oppressive enough, really quick jumping over to the Dis House, we have three Exhumes as well. So not one Exhume, not two Exhumes, but three Exhumes. So that pretty much signals to your opponent that Ronnie's going to come around a lot. And then people have an issue with, well, if I kill Ronnie on board, you can just Exhume him the next turn. And it just puts the opponent in such a weird spot. And that's typically the one they're most afraid of me Exhuming is the Ronnie's. Um, I also have too much to protect for a nice little thing. So if they try to get around Ronnie by going to eight, I can hit them usually with a too much to protect into Ronnie to pull them back off check for a net gain of three Amber. Um, Uh, I'm fascinated by these two cards really, because I'm just wondering what happened in, in the, the design conversation there. Someone sat there designing Exhume and saying, I don't know. I just don't think it's powerful enough. I think we need to give it an amber pip <laughs> put as well. An amber, yeah, put an amber pip on it because that's that's exactly what it needs at that yeah, point. Yeah. I mean, I'll take it. I'm very happy to have the amber pip on it. So, uh, so thank oh, you yeah. very much to the design team. Oh no, for sure. This deck flies. Like this deck is actually pretty fast. Um, like that. I mean, the Ronnie thing is the one that everybody's like afraid of. But what's more dangerous almost is exhuming Ganger chieftains. Because the Dis House also has Anguish and Overlord Grecking. If you have a Ganger Chieftain in in your discard, a lot of times you can, you know, play an Overlord Grecking, exhume a Ganger Chieftain, and swing with Gre- Overlord Grecking the turn you play him and steal one of your opponent's creatures. For our newer players that maybe haven't played Overlord Grecking before, this is a Dis Demon. Um, funny that. I mean, that doesn't really narrow it down much, does it? Uh, but it has seven power, and after an enemy creature is destroyed fighting it, uh, that creature gets put under play in your control. So uh, absolutely there, Dan. With a, with a Gang of Chieftain, that's, that can be an instant effect. Very nice. And with Exhume as well. Yeah, the Exhume is what really sets it off because you just all do it in House um, house Dis. And the same with Anguish. So Anguish is a six-power demon. For each damage on Anguish, your opponent's keys cost plus one Amber. So if they're at six or seven, or even if they're at eight and I don't have my combo together yet, I can you know throw an Anguish out, Exhume a Ganger Chieftain, swing with Anguish, put four damage on them to make their keys cost ten, and dig for some more cards to see if I can't find those Ronnies or the Too Much to Protect or whichever part of it I'm missing, or just even delay them for another turn 
Yeah, so what this deck really does, and what a lot of the AOA decks that I enjoy playing do, is they play out of their discard pile. Like, your discard pile is like an extension of your hand with the triple exhumes. Like, you have so many options available to you throughout the entire game as you're drawing those exhumes. Another card that kind of helps with this is Sound the Horns and Brobnar. So Sound the Horns is another Amber Pit card action. Play discard cards from the top of your deck until you either discard a Brobnar creature or run out of cards. If you discarded a Brobnar creature this way, put it in your hand. So I like to do this one where I'll drop the Grogans and try to find my Ganger Chieftain or try to find my Brammo. And at the same time, I'm loading up my discard with options for exhumes later. Or sometimes, sadly, throwing away an exhume or two. But um, the deck cycles pretty quickly with that card, so it's not too much of an issue. Absolutely. And and just looking at all those Amber Pips, 12 Amber Pip extras for a uh, an AOA deck isn't too bad, uh, particularly when a lot of them are on such powerful cards. Yep. And the other nice thing is like the Shadows, I have Hidden Stash, which is the Shadows version of Lab Work. So you get to archive a card and get an Amber Pip. And a lot of times I'm throwing my Too Much to Protect into the archives. Dust Chronicles is another one that I'm usually ahead on Amber. So that'll allow me to archive a card as well. And that's just, you know, super flexible. Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch as well is one of those cards that goes under the radar, doesn't it? But it can be so versatile, so useful. You can you can destroy something with it and then archive it and uh, just keep it there. If maybe you know they've got a Dusk Witch or several small annoying uh, creatures that you just want to get rid of, quite often the Shadows ones, maybe maybe uh, a Professor Stutterkin, um, and you get an Amber Pip every single time you play it. Yeah, no, it's definitely something I'm very cognizant of when I'm looking at my opponent's index card. Like, do I need to really make sure my Sucker Punch stays in my archives or am I okay like just firing it off at something just to get the amber when I draw it? Because there are certain matchups, like you said, where that's really necessary. And this deck, for all of the big dudes it has, it has very little targeted removal out of hand on action cards. Sucker Punch and Banish are pretty much the only two targeted removal that like just work when you play them um and then there's first blood but i have to have brobnar creatures on board for that one to work so for the most part yeah like those are my two actual targeted removal cards so so what roles do the houses play for you in this deck is it one of those decks where you kind of play the cards out of your hand as they come or is it one where the the houses have very clear roles in your mind and you know as part of that wider game plan what you want to get out of them obviously we're giving a lot away to people that might be playing you with this deck in the future but uh here we go no so i found with this deck i really need to have a strong brobnar or disc start um this deck like i just said doesn't have any removal so it's all about me getting on board and controlling the board with with fighting. I fight a lot with this deck because I don't need to actually gain Amber because the Ronnies and the Exhumes and everything, I can get the Amber when I need it. But what I need to do is keep my opponent's board down. Uh, if my opponent doesn't really have any board clears, like this deck can just put out some ridiculous board states with just... I mean, all the big Brobnar dudes, all the Gangers are 5, du Double Ganger at 5, Grogans at 8... Um, Bilgum Avalanche actually does some work in the deck because people forget that when I forge it does two damage to all their stuff so I've had multiple opponents play a bunch of small creatures out right before I forge a key and just kind of get them with that so that's a five power Brobnar creature after you forge a key deal two to each enemy creature so that's done a lot of work um, Overlord Grecking super early is super annoying for opponents because 
with all the exhumes, if I stick him early and they get rid of him, I just exhume him back in because he's such a threat and he's so hard to deal with. And, it, and you're, when you're stealing their dudes, especially if you can steal dudes that are in the houses that you're playing, yeah, is really yeah. good. Then you can actually use them. Yep. And so, I mean, Shadows is very much like, I don't... I probably call Shadows the least amount in the deck. Like, the Shadows doesn't actually... Other than... I mean, the Ronnies do a lot of work, like, stealing. But as far as, like, turn to turn, like, it's more like I play Shadows and then I move out of Shadows. And I go back yeah. to the other two houses. So it's very much just kind of play, get the steal. Um, there is an Umbra and a Yan uh, Yancey gang in the list. Yeah. But they don't... I mean... Umbra doesn't usually stick around. Yancey Gang can stick around and is actually nice to partner with the too much to protect. So I don't have to have a Ronnie per se. As long as I have the Yancey out, I can TMTP people and then Yancey them down to five to keep them off of a forge. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a versatile Shadows lineup and uh, one full of those tips and tricks that can uh, kind of burst out of the, the doors and take your opponent by surprise. Um, the one card that this is a card that I have to give the backstory on this one. I am fascinated by this card. This card for me, if I had to pick one card and say, wow, this is what I love about the design of this game, that would be the sting. Um, <laughs> and for, for players that are, are lucky enough not to have come across this card yet, this is a, a Shadows artifact just in case they didn't need more crazy cards and crazy artifacts. Of course it does give you an amber pip. And it says, skip your forge a key step. Uh, you get all the amber spent by your opponent when forging keys. And it has an action ability, which is to sacrifice it. So the pro is you gain, you can gain a, an inordinate amount of amber playing this card and using this card in an effective way. Um, the negative is you need to call House Shadows to get rid of it and you need to play it at the right time. So it's a challenging one to play. And um, I, had a, I had a bit of a bad experience with this one, Dan. <laughs> um, when, when the week AOA first came out, I was playing in a chain bound and um, someone had opened a Sting Heart of the Forest deck Ooh. with a Too Much to Protect. And honestly, I, I think I nearly, I, that was nearly the last time I played Keyforge. Um, it really, it really took me. It took me. I, I was, uh, yeah, it was quite, it was quite a game. But since then, I've, I've decided to, uh, to join forces with the Sting and I've been uh, buying up some interesting Sting related decks, but none is more, none more interesting than this one though. So, uh, so tell us, Dan, how, how do you use the Sting in this deck to good effect? So I play Yerk and then I discard it and I feel so good about myself. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, I really don't. No. Like, God, the Sting is such a trap card in the current meta with all the big steel effects, the team too much protects, interdimensional graph, doorstep to heavens, all those kinds of things running around. Like, it's such a liability. Like, I had one high IQ play with it where I looked at my opponent's list and I realized his list was super annoying. It had a, like three Schulers, bunch of nerve blasts, and just like little incremental steals. And that kind of thing but he didn't yeah. really actually have anything to punish a big steal so i went for it like i had it in hand right before he's about to forge and kind of kept in mind like oh man his like entire deck is just these little incremental steals but if i go up to a huge number i don't think he's just not gonna have enough time to incrementally kick me back down and it worked yeah. out like it did like getting to like 13 14 amber there um getting rid of it the next turn so i missed one turn of forging 
but then I had enough control that he was at zero amber and I've got enough control in the deck to just kind of keep him off as I forge my last two keys. So yeah, so most of the time, I mean, most of the time it's a hard discard. I almost like seeing it early yeah. just to discard it right away. <laughs> if I hit it with Sound the Horns, I'm happy. If I have it in hand when I'm playing a Yurk out of the Dis House, Yurk is a four-powered creature. You have to choose and discard a card from your hand. Um, that card actually is fun with three Exhumes in the deck as well, so you can, if you need to play a creature out of another house in your hand, you can just discard it and Exhume it right away, which is pretty fun. Amazing. And the Sting is... It's such a situational card, and if it comes late, there's pretty much no value to it whatsoever. But if you do get it early and you do find that right situation, it does feel like a bit of a gamble, but when you pull it off, it's such a, a reward feeling. Yeah, I mean, if my opponent has a doorstep or an interdimensional graft or too much protect, unless maybe if I'm holding too much protect in hand, maybe I'll still try to go for it, but most of the time I'm just going to discard it. Like, I don't... Like my my issue, the reason I want to see it really is I just don't want to draw it late when the game's really on the line. Like drawing that late just feels so bad. It's just like this is such a dead yeah. draw that I'm gonna have to call shadows at some point and just discard it or hopefully get my yerk back um, to discard it and keep digging through the deck for what I actually need. Um, but no, like in this deck, it doesn't do a whole lot. I I sent you another deck. I've got a Martian Generosity Cube Duction deck that this thing is hilarious in. <laughs> Oh my goodness! You'll have to uh, you have to send me a copy of that one, um, and maybe we'll put it in the show notes as it's, well. It's just, in the uh, Discord. It's got key abduction and night forge. So, <laughs> oh wow! It's, oh wow! It's pretty silly. So you don't you forge your first key, put the sting down, and just key cheat your last two keys. It's pretty fun. So, so your opponent can be sitting pretty on two keys and uh, feeling quietly confident with themselves, um, and then out of nowhere. Uh, two turns later they are <laughs> they're staring at you in disbelief yeah i've drawn 32 cards with that deck before oh goodness that's that's just too much dan that's too much what are the most memorable moments you've you've had playing this deck i imagine you've had some uh some pretty good experiences playing this deck yeah no i mean i've had i uh i played one let's see shoot who was it grant titus the creator of the crucible tracker um he has he's the proud owner of the gen con winning archon deck and we played a three game series just to see how it'd stack up and yeah i took two out of three of those and that felt really good and like i kind of played the games and i didn't kind of realize it uh the deck that won gen con was the snappy pariah like man that deck really sounds familiar and like i pull it up and i look at the thing again i'm like oh it's power level eight oh yeah this is the deck that won (laughs) gen con so i don't know Oh my goodness yeah it felt really good it was a double doorstep deck but um yeah i think it was a little shy on board clears i think that's what i was just able to build out big boards that he couldn't really deal with and I yeah. could just, you know, go to six, go to seven, and he could doorstep me, but it just kind of delayed delayed the inevitable. So there's clearly some potential with this deck to uh, to maybe go quite a long way. And do you think that right now the current meta is is the time to unleash this deck at a large tournament? Or are you are you waiting patiently for uh, for the right moment? No, I think it's, it does pretty well. I've played against, so in our Discord, we have a lot of high-level players and high-level VT finishers, which is really cool. And playing against a lot of them, like, this deck stands up. Like, 
I've got a really good record with it. I've found a few decks that it has some issues with. Um, if somebody has like a really good Arise deck that's like heavy creatures, that gives this deck fits because my exhumes just do not stack up to like a double Arise when you're playing a heavy heavy set of creatures. Um, so I've <laughs> I've tried a few times to go against that deck, and that deck just owns me. Like I just the value from the their arises just over supersedes my ability to just exhume a creature at a time, and I can't keep their board clear. And their board is full of like it's like a triple grabber jammer deck with uh, yeah. a double shuler, um, charrette shaffles. Uh, Lash of Broken Dreams. So, I mean, on their disc turn, if they arise on their disc turn, they can make you lose six amber, and three of it you're not getting back. <laughs> wow, wow. And we, we're seeing a lot of those kind of arise, bring back the whole Untamed lineup with a couple of Hunting Witches uh, being quite uh, quite a force at the top level at the moment. So do you think that maybe waiting until worlds collide to unleash this deck might be uh, might be a better plan? No, I mean, I feel like it has a really good matchup just about everywhere. Um, against, the, I mean, God, key cheats are so good right now. So if you were ever yeah. thinking key cheats were bad before, like with the steel heavy, capture heavy, just with all the decks that are kind of in the high level competitive meta, just having so many ways to pull you off of check like having a key cheat or two in a deck is such a major difference and just shuts these decks down because man like you have it all set up so yeah if they go to seven or eight next turn you're just going to get them with too much protect and ronnie nope they key cheated they've got one amber now now you're stuck holding a too much to protect and a ronnie <laughs> that really do you no good at that point and you're just kind of you self-change yourself for a situation that's just not not going to work out for you and Chota being yeah. Chota being the worst of that one, man, Chota is so rough to go against with some of these steel heavy decks, especially this one. Um, just the fact that they can replay Chota over and over again with regrowth and nature's call to really just kind of stick it to you, so you can't ever and, and glimmer and glimmer. Don't don't diss those decks with three glimmers. Actually, three is too many. It's too many, but two 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 is okay. I've got a triple glimmer. It's actually okay. I mean, you're you feel okay discarding one, and it's also got a song of spring, so it's just <laughs> play play your untamed over and over. Yeah, or soldiers to flowers. That can be that can make it feel slightly better. Um, but I'm just looking at your disc lineup now, and I'm amazed. Everything in this disc lineup is giving you some kind of value. You've got steel from from the Shula. You've got a must kill there in the Strecker. Um, you've got the Overlord, you've got the Yurk, um, the Double Dust Imp, uh, Charette, just in case, you know, you need to do a bit of cheeky capturing. It's, it's, uh, it's set up so well for, and, and very versatile. No, it's super nice. And like, like I said, with this deck, I'm playing out on my discard pile a lot. Um, Exhum Ronnie seems like the obvious play, but that's not always the right play. A lot of times, like, Exhuming a Charette when you have a Ronnie in hand and they're at, like, say they're at eight so the shred will bring him back down to five and it gives you another turn to kind of try to find your too much to protect or try to find a second ronnie so if they kill your shred and go back up to eight or nine you can go ronnie to seven ronnie to five like that one feels yeah. really good pulled that off a couple times where an opponent's at nine like yeah ronnie this because my too much to protect is already you know in the discard and you go ronnie yeah. ronnie or even just exhume exhume ronnie ronnie and go up to six amber in a single turn feels pretty good if you could pick any other card in existence and add it to this deck 
what would that card be? I'd probably replace the sting with like just like a nerve blast or something. Just one more steel card to double up with too much to protect in the Ronnies. Um, As a huge fan of the sting, I think this this hurts a little bit. This hurts. Uh, I, I, I feel like that. no, no, no. Here you go. I feel like it's Here not valued. All right, sorry. I, I apologize. <laughs> I take it back. I would replace Gargantus Scrapper, which is like the worst yeah. card in AOA Brobnar, and put in a Drummer Knot. And this deck would be disgusting with the triple exhumes, double ganger, and a Drummer Knot. It would be so gross. Oh, this would yeah, be so OP. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to I'm gonna troll my buddy the next time I play. I'm going <laughs> to slip in a drummer knot in the place of the Gargantus Scrapper and see if he notices. And uh, the drummer knot also goes quite well with the uh, the Brammo as well um, because you can you can just play the drummer, play the Brammo, and uh, and then you're you're dealing two damage, uh, getting getting a lot of value out of that Brammo. We even exhume Brammo if they've got a bunch of elusive guys, like little elusive guys yeah. on the edges. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of people on that because they just don't think about it. Like you know, they see exhume and they see Ronnie's, and they're like he's got to exhume Ronnie's all the time, right? Well, no, you can exhume yeah. Brammo to get rid of two dudes as it comes in, and that feels real good. Getting rid of like you know, like a John Smith or something, or even just a hunting witch that's sitting on the edge. Although they're never sitting on the edge. They could sit on the edge, not likely. Maybe like a Dew Fairy, a Dew Fairy and a John Smith, or something like that, or a Zookeeper John Smith. Like get the board set up just right so those two are on the edge and exhume into a Brammo to get rid of them. You've mentioned Arise, but is there any particular card apart from that or house that you really don't like playing against with this deck that can maybe catch this deck unawares a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think it's other like creature heavy lineups because this one wants to be on board. So if I go up against another deck that wants to be on board, it's just kind of a race to see who gets on board first. Um, I thought board clears would be kind of effective against it, but they aren't as bad as long as they don't have the arises to back it up. Like if my opponent's able to no. go board clear arise back into their big disc lineup, then yeah, I'm in trouble because I can't react fast enough to that. And I guess to a certain extent, if you're playing out of your discard pile anyway, they're almost playing into your hands to a certain extent when they start helping you to discard some of those cards. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's like, I mean, you, you get stuff like English and Grecking on the board and like Ganger and Groggins. Like you just have options each turn with how you can affect their board. This deck actually fights a lot. Like I, I had to get my head around that. Um, I lost some games early where I just lost control of the board. And I realize, like, if I just control the board with fighting, I can use my Ronnies and my Too Much Protect and my Exhumes and all this other stuff to kind of keep myself on pace with Amber. But I don't have the targeted removal, so anytime a problem creature is dropped, I need to do my best to get rid of it as quickly as possible. And we haven't even spoken about the real crime of this deck. The real crime of this deck is that you had one deck to choose to talk about, and you didn't choose a deck with Sanctum in it. And honestly, it's it's feeling worse and worse. You're 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 going to have to change the name of the podcast. Yeah, there's uh, there's another podcast that shan't be named that likes to call us Sanctnomonious since we got booted out of Worlds Collide. <laughs> oh no, oh no, they'll be back. They'll be they back. Will be Holier back. than before, I'm sure. We'll be back. Um, it's only a matter of time. So you've spoken a bit about some of the decks that you've been able to to beat, and this one can go really toe-to-toe with the big guys, but what is the most feel-good win that you've had when playing this deck? It's like, I haven't, man, 
I was hoping to maybe get down out to a chain bound tomorrow night, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And I was planning on running it. So, I mean, I've never ran this IRL in a competition. Okay. I guess that can impact uh, the play experience a bit. Part of the enjoyment of playing the Ronnie is uh, seeing your opponent's face just after you've played it. destroyed. Just their faces just melt. <laughs> but no, so it's mostly been played on TCO. And before TCO got updated, I played it quite a bit on um, Tabletop Simulator as well while we were waiting for that to update. Okay. But I mean, online, I've got 47 games tracked with a 33 and 14 record, so a 70% win rate. Um, <laughs> it took it. I mean, that's not bad, particularly if you're playing on the uh, competitive level on the Crucible. Yeah, and like most of these have been like VT testing for people too that we're going to Collinsville and um, people that are going to Vegas here in a, I guess like a week. I guess next week already. Goodness, time flies. Yeah, um, it does. It does. Yeah, I don't. This isn't one I like go to. It's more like my, oh, you want a VT test? All right, I'll pull out Oppenheimer and really puts you to a, a challenge with it. Um, and yeah, like I tried a couple of times against the deck, the uh, big <laughs> the big Double Arise deck. I'm like, maybe there's a way I can win this matchup. And there's, there's no way. They weren't close. <laughs> it was such oh, a crushing goodness. defeat. Um, so yeah, it's just a really, really bad matchup for that one. And from what you've seen of Worlds Collide so far, I have to be careful here and say... I am avoiding spoilers for Worlds Collide at the moment. But do you think this deck's going to fare quite well from what you've seen of it so far? Um, yeah, without disclosing too much, it should hold up all right. Um, Warding is going to be an issue. Warding is going to make things a little stickier and harder to remove from the board. Um, it's such a fascinating mechanic. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing quite the impact it has on the game. Yeah, and there's some there's some pretty good house cheating that'll make other decks pretty efficient in how they can play cards. And then uh, Captured Amber is a thing that the Saurians care about a bit that can really... Like, I, I know there's a, there's a board wipe that kind of depends on Captured Amber. I won't spoil anything further than that. And my deck only has the Charette, so that's pretty much... So Charette stays, but everything else goes. Everything else goes, yeah. <laughs> Including the dust imp, that's never a bad thing. No, that's never a bad thing when you when you get a dust imp board cleared. Like you don't ever feel too bad about that, and that's why those are fun to throw out there. But yeah, no, I think it should be. I mean, I don't know enough about it yet. I uh, I've seen the demo decks that FFG has used on stream, and um, just kind of looked through those a little bit and kind of got an idea of what's in those. But again, that's only three decks and we're going to be opening how many hundreds of thousands of them after the release. So just a small in, in sampling. Minutes, absolutely. Yep. And, and the other thing just to mention about this deck, am I right in thinking you don't have any artifact control? Not to point out all of the negatives, but I mean, how does that impact you? Has that been, has that been a contributing factor to some of those, those games that you've struggled a bit more with? No, not really. Like, I mean, I could see, like, if I went up against a good Heart of the Forest deck, like, I do actually have a good Heart of the Forest deck, that that deck would just stomp this one. Like, it could yeah. it could play the game to a state where this my deck could not win, and there'd just be nothing I could do about it. So, I mean, that that is an issue. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, a couple of my um, top decks both have no artifact control, but for the most part, like, a Lash of Broken Dreams, I'm not too afraid of. I can make that kind of amber to you know get around that one that's a pretty common one that you uh, go against quite a bit 
Um, I'm not, I'm not really, there's not really any other artifacts that I'm super afraid of. Like Heart of the Forest would be the biggest one if somebody had a good Heart of the Forest deck and can get to the Heart of the Forest before I can close the game out, then it's going to be problematic for me. Or, you know, like, I don't know. If, if they have a good Heart of the Forest, they've got a way to burst that last key after they forge their second key. Yeah, Heart of the Forest is such a such an incredible card and it's it's so tough to wrap your head around and every time it's mentioned I, I get those visions straight back to how i felt with the uh the playing against the sting heart of the forest deck and um i it's not it's not pleasant to go against but it's an amazing reminder of what can what can happen with this game and the potential it has in the future no, definitely. Like if it had a snack lifter with the triple exhumes as well. Oh my goodness, that'd be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dan, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this deck uh, in the in the summary of a Voltor sometime <laughs> soon. Yeah, that would be great. Got to come back to Voltor's Seattle. Absolutely. Are you attending the Voltor Las Vegas? No, two small children, limited budget. Can't leave mom home alone for oh an entire weekend with two children under the ages of three. So, be cruel and unusual. So, no, I'll be setting that one out. I've been doing a lot of testing with a few of the sanctimonious discordians that are going so we've been jamming triads and we're actually running a triad league right now in hopes that those people going to vegas would get a chance to get a little more practice before vegas happened awesome awesome and that's all about the community in there if one of you guys wins you will win that's right no it's been yeah it's been back to the mushy stuff again <laughs> yeah it's so incredible <laughs> like yeah just the results from the people that hang out in the discord i man i think we're yeah, I think we have like a perfect record for the VT since we've really been going of somebody from the Discord day toing. So, like that's just unbelievable. There's a lot of people in there, but there's a lot of great players out there, and to consistently put one person through to day two, if not more than a couple, um, yeah, it's just been ridiculous. So credit to all the great people in the Sanctimonious Discord that put in the time, put in the practice, and. Everybody else that goes up there and gets smashed by all their really good decks and hopes that they do well. Awesome, awesome. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So, Dan, uh, we have, if, if, if there's any doubt that we haven't plugged the Discord or the podcast <laughs> enough, um, let, let our listeners know where they can find you. Yep, so I'm uh, at Dan is someone on Twitter and Twitch. That's D-A-N-I-S-S-O-M-E-1. Uh, our podcast is also on Twitter. It's at Sanctimonious, and it's Sanctum, S-A-N-C-T-U-M-O-N-I-U-S. Um, so like the house sanctum, even though <laughs> me and Jake are avid non-players of sanctum. <laughs> you know there's going to be new players that come into the game and worlds collide, and they go... What sanctum? Right. I don't know what this is. <laughs> Bulwark will be visiting you soon. Uh, <laughs> no, so we, uh, yeah, we're we're there. the The podcast can be found on pretty much any major, any major podcasting platform out there. And then we're also on Podbean. So sanctimonious.podbean.com is our actual podcast page. And then, yeah, in the show notes and pretty much anywhere in the Twitter link, in the anything is the Discord kind of server invite. And, yeah, we've continued to have people pouring in. I think we've eclipsed 400 people in there now. So pretty sweet. Awesome. 
Thanks so much again for coming on. Yeah, and thanks for having the me. Time to join us, Dan. To our listeners, let us know what you'd like to see more of or less of in future shows. And please subscribe on your regular podcast app. We are on most, if not all of them. Um, you can also find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. And you can email us questions at discoverkeyforge at gmail.com. But most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, then please help them to discover it. Thanks again to Dan and thanks for listening. Thank you, Ed. 